We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC Heart and Vascular Institute, where you get access to the most advanced treatment options, including a range of clinical trials. Learn more at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Last week's cold and wind and even the most snow in two years have been followed by warming temperatures and rain this week. The winter weather last week was typical of years past, but seemed to have a real impact on many central Pennsylvanians who have grown accustomed to milder winter temperatures and little snow. That wasn't the case eight years ago this week when central Pennsylvania got nailed with more than 30 inches of snow. On The Spark today, we talk weather with ABC 27 meteorologist Dan Tommaso. Dan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Well, first of all, before we talk weather, you're a new father. How are things at home? Uh, actually, yeah, I, I don't want to say this too far out loud, but <laughs> I think we've kind of hit our stride. So we went through a two-month period where we weren't sleeping very much. Um, since that point, she has been a little angel. So I, I feel like whether it's going to daycare, whether it's just everyday things, she is very, very patient. I feel very, very fortunate because I hear from other parents that that two-month period can extend longer to like four or six months. So my wife and I are very thankful. I think you're right. All right. So, well, that's good to hear. So now let's talk about weather. Let's start with last week. Where did the snow and cold come from last week? Yeah. So finally, we actually ended up with a winter weather pattern that all things came together. And what I mean by that is oftentimes in the past three or four years, we've had some colder outbreaks, but Usually it's been cold and dry without much snow. This time around, we had the cold slide in well ahead of any moisture. And so last week, the cold air was established. We had one snowstorm come through. That was on the Monday night into Tuesday, and then a second one on Friday. And when you start to build snowstorm after snowstorm, you end up with what we call a snowpack. You end up with snow that's deepening on the ground. And as you can kind of imagine your freezer, even refrigerator at home, if you have something that helps keep things cold, then all of a sudden the cold sustains itself. And we went through a, about an eight-day period where we had over an inch of snow on the ground, which, again, has happened very few times in the 2020s. Um, this has been a decade so far. I know we're not even halfway through the decade yet, but a decade so far marked with very little snow. The least snowiest winter on record was 2019 into 2020. And then last year we had one of our top five least snowiest winters And so my gut feeling going into this winter was the opportunities were going to be few and far between. And so far, it's like we've had maybe two or three weeks of actual winter weather. But again, as we always talk about, you have to predict the cold air first before you predict any snow. Because if you don't have the cold air established, you're going to end up with snow, likely changing over to sleet, maybe some periods of rain, even some freezing rain. You want that true, dry, cold Canadian air in place. We had it last week. You know, you mentioned freezing rain. I was just sitting here thinking, we have not had many bouts of freezing rain over the last couple of years, which is a good thing. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, if you if you saw some of the video out of the Midwest over the past few days, um, whether it's St. Louis, I know the the fire trucks getting down oh, the hill yeah. in that neighborhood that went viral for a while. Um, freezing rain is one of those things that people take way too lightly because, again, it appears like everything's just raining, not paying attention to temperatures outside. But if it rains over a 28-degree surface temperature, you're going to end up with ice. And the confusing part is people think, well, it's warm enough to rain. There can't be any problems. But in reality, the hardest part about warming up the atmosphere is usually right at the ground. And so the ground, what we call the boundary layer in meteorology, right near the surface is always the last to warm up. In fact, we're seeing it right now that we are very stable near the ground. So if you've been outside today on this Thursday, it's very foggy. It's very damp. We have very stable air right near the ground, but just above us, there's warm air screaming on in from the south and the southwest. And so you get this very stable kind of stagnant layer of air. Um, and in fact, we had some viewers reaching out to us the last two nights asking about air quality concerns because all the emissions get trapped in this very shallow layer near the ground, and it leads to what we call higher AQI values. So if you have one of those weather apps that warns you about um, air quality concerns, they were probably going off the last night. Hmm. All right. So going back to last week with the cold and snow, did you get the sense, the same sense that I did, that it was almost like central Pennsylvania was experiencing something new or novel? 100% I did. And the reason I, I think I view it that way is I had more questions than ever about closures, delays, people saying, well, we just haven't had this. I mean, I've heard that several times now that, you know, we just haven't had this active winter weather. We haven't had to worry about closings and delays. And, you know, the school districts kind of get off easy now that there's this virtual thing yeah. you can just throw your kids into. But um, for daycares, which now I'm actively involved in, in daycare, whether um, it's with my child or other people's kids here at work. Everyone wants to know, is this enough to close? And to be honest with you, I never think three inches of snow is enough. But I think what made last week unique is that because it was so cold, everything stuck right away. So whether it was light snow, whether it was heavy snow, it was accumulating quickly. And, you know, I think people really freak out when you don't see blacktop when you're driving or you don't see the highway while you're driving. Sometimes, Believe it or not, there's a strategy behind that, that it's actually good to leave some snow in certain circumstances on the roadways for traction. But I know for a lot of people, it makes you very uncomfortable. And then I say to them, why'd you buy that big SUV if you're not going to use the four-wheel drive? So to me, I'm in it no matter what. And uh, we talk about this all the time here in, in news and in weather that no matter the situation, we're driving in it. So to me, it's just like it's, it's any other day. But I, people get anxiety about um, driving in those conditions, that's for sure. Do you have a four-wheel drive? Oh, absolutely. I've had one um, pretty much since I started here because I knew that, I mean, there's no excuse. I can't say to my boss, I'm not coming in on a snow day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be a good look. <laughs> no, that would not be a good look. And I, I, again, I think, you know, there are so many people here that I work with that don't have SUVs and they find a way in. Now, again, I, I understand. We want fewer people on the roads. We don't want to put anyone at unnecessary risk. But we still have not had a crippling snowstorm here, and I think you'd agree with me on that. Oh, yeah. You know, the last few years, and just a few years ago, it was a new term for many of us laymen, and that was polar vortex. Last yes. week, there were a few mentions of the polar vortex contributing to the cold snap. First of all, what is the polar vortex, and did it contribute? So the polar vortex is very misunderstood, and it's partially the media's fault. I will admit that much, that it's not properly explained. So 
polar vortex has always been there and it's not like it was some brand new discovery it just became kind of a buzz term as many things often do so when you look at the atmosphere if you go back to simple earth science you have the troposphere and then above the troposphere you have the stratosphere so we're talking very very high up in the sky higher than planes fly and so in the stratosphere there is this ribbon of very fast moving wind similar to a jet stream that we talk about here in terms of our weather. But essentially, that jet stream or that very fast band of wind can weaken or strengthen in any given winter. And when it weakens, you basically get a dislodging of very, very cold air up above us. So this is, again, well over 30,000 feet above us. And when that dislodging happens in the stratosphere, it's not instantaneous. We don't get cold right away. But essentially, that polar vortex in the stratosphere eventually collapses some of that cold air farther down in the troposphere. And this is a process that's not very well understood. It's an active area of science that we're trying to figure out how the stratosphere kind of talks to the troposphere. It's kind of like if you had a top layer of a wedding cake, how does it affect the bottom layer? And how does that translation work? So what we do know is Typically, when we get this dislodging of cold air in the polar vortex around the North Pole, it takes about 10 to 14 days to finally have an impact near the ground. So that's how long it takes. And the biggest thing we don't know, and this is probably the biggest uncertainty, and this is why I get a little bit upset by people that try to forecast just based on the polar vortex, it could be cold in the eastern U.S., but it could also be cold in the western United States instead, or it could be cold in Europe or Russia, Eurasia. We don't necessarily know that, and it, it takes some time to resolve it. So, again, you'll see the bloggers, you'll see some media postings that something is changing with the polar vortex, and I always caution people, pump the brakes. If you remember, I think it was now two years ago when Texas had that historic cold yeah. air outbreak. Mm -hmm. That was from a dislodging of the polar vortex, but that cold air never made it to us. It essentially just dropped south along the, the Colorado Rockies into places like Oklahoma and Texas and even into far northern Mexico. So that was a situation where people were thinking it was going to get cold in the east. It never got that far. And so it's very, very important to always remind people when you're talking two to three week time periods in weather. I mean, I see it every day. When you look at the models that far out, there's constantly changing. And what I will say now is that so we went through what was a weakening of the polar vortex for a time. Now we're moving into a strengthening polar vortex. And that may sound scary or intimidating to people, but what I can tell you is when the polar vortex strengthens, essentially it's kind of like if you tighten your belt. The winds get stronger in the polar vortex, and it keeps the cold air more locked toward the North Pole. And so a lot of projections, and maybe this is a happy thing for people that don't like snow, a lot of projections through mid-February show a very warm time period relative to average. And we're kind of seeing that play out already. I mean, tomorrow could be 60 degrees. Moving into next week, we'd have more 40s and 50s after a little brief cold spell at the beginning of the week. And so, again, the polar vortex has an effect, but I think that's kind of what we've experienced, that the effect tends to be very short-term, like a week or two. And I know people have said that seems like that's the length of winter anymore, and I, I kind of agree with that. Dan, just talking about uh, gardening and our gardening dreams, how often are you asked, when can I plant my garden? When can I start planting? Well, I would say that picks up anytime early March, especially if we get a warm spell that seems to last like a week or two. People get the cabin fever syndrome, you know, that they yeah. want to be outside. They want to be working. So I'm fully prepared to start 
uh, help starting to help answer those questions. But in my own personal life, I could tell you that we chose, my wife and I chose the end of March on purpose um, for our wedding date back in 2019. And the reason being was climatologically by the end of March, we're seeing that warming pattern already taking place. Now, again, the issue with any type of planting is do you get a cold spell for two or three nights? That can blow everything out of the water, but anymore, spring is starting earlier and earlier and earlier, which helps all the gardeners and even farmers too. I mean, I work with a full-time farmer, Eric Finkenbinder, yeah. and he talks about it all the time, that they're able to plant things sooner. They're able to uh, plant things inside, move them outside when it's time. I mean, it's it's incredible. If you look closely and if you observe enough, you can kind of see the, the warming planet happening in front of us. Yeah. Your wife, I, I assume that she was happy marrying a meteorologist, that there was kind of like a build-in expertise there, right? Oh, absolutely. But she, you know, obviously the warnings were thrown out there that if I was wrong, I was going to be in big trouble. <laughs> but I will say our wedding day was one of these weird days where it peaked at like 72 degrees. And then it fell the night after, and it was probably in the 50s that following Sunday. But still, everything worked out. It was actually warmer than we anticipated. <laughs> well, that was good to hear. That's a good start to the marriage. That's a good way. It was, it was a very good start. It wasn't cold and snowy because the year before, in 2018, there was a pretty late-season snowstorm. It was actually our largest snowstorm um, after 2016. So it was 2016, 2017, 2018. We had three years of pretty decent storms, obviously not the three feet in 2016 that we had, but I believe 2017, 2018, both were about 12 inches of snow. Um, so it, we we threaded the needle pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, had to kind of wipe the brow after that. Exactly. So what's had the most influence on our weather this winter? So I think if you just take a global perspective, and I think people can visualize this pretty easily. So the United States is surrounded by water. And with climate change, with the warming of the planet, the part of the earth that doesn't cool very fast is the ocean water. And that has to do with thermal inertia and the properties of water. But essentially, very warm Pacific Ocean water, very warm Atlantic Ocean water is the reason why we just simply have not had very strong winters. And this year especially, we've had a very, very strong Pacific jet. It lasted all of December, so what I'm talking about, a very strong jet stream over the Central Pacific. All that's doing is it's like a fire hose of warmth and moisture coming into the western U.S., and then eventually that warmth and moisture makes it across the Rockies into the eastern half of the United States. And so that's been a recurring pattern not only in December, but we've now seen it pop up again. So we just discussed the polar vortex. I think an even bigger influence so far this winter is in this falling Pacific jet. Um, that's been existing basically off and on for two months. It's pretty incredible. But when you have that, you will end up with cloudy days like we have today. You'll end up with periodic rain spells. So we have another bout of rain through tonight, early tomorrow morning, then another bout of rain Saturday night into Sunday. I would be prepared for more rain than snow over the next two. How do we look for precipitation? When I ask that question, I mean, are we average, uh, above, below? Where do we stand? So at one point last year, we were about in a 10-inch hole or deficit um, in the Harrisburg area. We use Harrisburg as the climate site. Um, but this year, so far, we've actually had a fairly wet January. We're about two inches above average. So you kind of put both of those together. We're, we're likely still in about a five- to six-inch hole overall. 
um, dating back to last year, which has been rare. I mean, I've talked well more about surplus rain than I have deficit rain in my career over 15 years. Um, so we're okay at this point. I know a lot of the water bans across the mid-state were lifted, including in York County that had pretty bad drought conditions. The reservoirs were pretty low, but that has since recovered. I mean, I'm, I'm even seeing some standing water in my yard now between the snow melt and now the rain. The, the water's the, the water level, the groundwater is pretty saturated. Hmm. With that said, a couple of weeks ago, we get our uh, we get our spring water from one of those places mm-hmm. out in the country where the state uh, inspects them and all that. I, I, just a few weeks ago, when I went to uh, get spring water, put my quarter in, didn't get as much water. There was a sign there by the owners who said that due to the reduced level, the lower level of groundwater. Uh, you know, you, you you won't get as much water with your quarter. I thought a spring was something different than groundwater. You explain it to me. Um, they're all one and the same. So essentially, we have underwater streams and rivers, essentially, that we don't see day to day. But um, in this area, especially because of all the shale, um, you basically have these cavities of water that fill up over time, especially during rainy periods. But Yes, springs can run dry. Underwater creeks can run dry just as easily as above-ground creek or stream. Hmm. So if you're running a rainfall deficit, you will either know from reservoirs or, in your case, a spring or a well. I mean, wells were running pretty low, too, my understanding, leading into fall and early winter. Yeah, I've I've heard of a number of people who have said that. All right, so let's go back to 2016. More than 30 inches of snow. What do you remember about that storm? It, it's basically the storm of my career, and I don't know if it'll ever be topped. I mean, so, you know, I was about midway through my career when this thing hit, and I'd been through snowstorms before. I'd been through one feet, even two feet of snow within a week or two-week time period. But I think the number one thing I will remember, and it's kind of like the way Sandy haunts me too, that you kind of remember watching the guidance, watching everything come in. It was simply something we hadn't seen before. And, you know, I always when I do school visits, when I do talks to the public, I say to them, one of the great parts about my job is it's something different every day, but this was something completely different. Essentially, this was a coastal snowstorm that developed, and not only did it develop, it strengthened. Instead of, usually these storms strengthen over the Northeast, and you get a lot of wind. I mean, that's where the term Nor'easter comes from, very strong winds from the Northeast, but this one strengthened and deepened and slowed down right over the Mid-Atlantic, and so we were in the northwest corner of the storm, which is the sweet spot for heavy precipitation, and we were in it for over 12 hours. And not only that, some of the highest snow rates I've witnessed, so we, we think about things in terms of rates. Are we getting one inch per hour? Are we getting two inches per hour, three inches per hour? This thing was dumping two to three inches per hour. When I got into work um, with James and Brett, so we all stuck together that morning because we knew it was going to be bad. Um, we drove through six inches of snow. By the time we left our shift about 12 to 14 hours later, we were up to 30, 32 mm. inches of snow. So just in the time we were on the air broadcasting and working at the station, we received over 20 inches of snow. I mean, it was simply incredible. You couldn't even wrap your head around it. And I think that was one of my favorite memories, too, putting together the snow map leading into the storm. We had never put two to three feet of snow in any forecast. And we thought there's no way this will verify because it's never happened before. And boy, did it ever verify. I mean, it was, it, again, I'm not sure we will ever repeat that type of snow. Do meteorologists get excited about events like that? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of us worked it. And in fact, that night, Eric decided not even to go home. And this is, we try not to sleep at the station, but he went upstairs and slept on a cot just so he could be a part of the yeah. coverage the next morning. I mean, it's just, this is why we get into this. I mean, I remember as a kid, the blizzard of 93, the blizzard of 96, and to actually be on the air talking about it, working with it. I mean, it, it was definitely an experience I will not forget. It's, it's, it's even above some of my hurricane coverage or Sandy coverage. It just, it was phenomenal. You know, if you go by the number of photographs on social media of the storm this sure. week that people have posted, it almost seemed like one of those where were you moments. Yep. And maybe it's because we don't get that much snow now or that it's, uh, you know, that uh, it was just such a something. It was so big that people remember where they are. It was truly, you know, you talk about being snowed in. It rarely happens. I mean, that was truly a snowed in event. No one could go anywhere. Everybody was stuck at home. Um, I could tell you from trying to drive some of the roads right after the accumulation stopped. I mean, there were up to six foot drifts where the wind was blowing. I mean, cars were completely buried and encased in snow. Again, I've never, I could still have the visual of trying to shovel out my own car and we got stuck twice on the way home. Luckily, we we found a West Hanover plow truck and we kind of followed that truck the whole way. But it was up over the wheels of my car. I couldn't drive. <laughs> Dan Tomaso, ABC 27 meteorologist. Thank you very much for being with us today. Scott, thank you so much. And thanks to all the listeners out there. I appreciate you.